Hello everyone, I'm Mark. And I'm Nick. And welcome back to the Letters to Podcast. And today we have a full house. We have two guest co-hosts with us because we wanted to have like a big conversation. Returning for his, his third season straight, we have Johnny back with us. Welcome back, Johnny. Hey y'all, I missed y'all. <laughs> missed you too. And then I missed you too because the last when you were on here last season, I wasn't able to be a part of that episode. So Yeah, I know. Hmm. Good for me. <laughs> and that was a good episode. I definitely listened and I was like, damn, I wish I was there. Um and then also joining us, he's this is his first time on our podcast, but he's not not new to Letters to Media Family. He's a co host from the Haddonfield Horrors Podcast. Welcome to Juan to the show. Hello, hello. Thank welcome, you for welcome, me, everyone. <laughs> yes, and we we are here today, all of us, because we are black and we are queer, and that's what today's episode is about. Today's episode is about being black in queer spaces and being queer in black spaces because those are both tricky, and you're treating, from my experience, you're treated very differently in those spaces just because for for most queer spaces you're kind of like fetishized because you're black they think you you might have certain things and they just automatically tack that onto you and in the black spaces black people can be very homophobic and transphobic <laughs> yes all the phobic <laughs> and and i just wanted us to have a conversation about it and just like be real Let's shoot the shit. Who wants to start off? Who 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 has a thought, an opinion, a suggestion? Nicholas. Well, I'll you just something. Yeah, I'll just start off by posing the question. Um, have you ever been in a position where you felt you had to choose between your blackness or your queerness in either space? Hmm. I don't know if I ever ever had to choose. No, let me take that back. So I will say when I'm in spaces, um, everything all at once, right? Mm-hmm. I've never felt as though I had to choose. I felt like the people or person in that space was kind of forcing me to choose between the two, which nine to ten times I would say no. But when I was younger... Um, Because I came out pretty early, 13, 14. Um, Mm -hmm. There were times where I would go places with my parents um, or other family members. Mm -hmm. And they would, for lack of better words, say, like, butch up. Or, you know, don't do too much. Don't be extra. Um, That's a choice that they put on me that I didn't have a choice but to to follow. But as I got older, um, I don't ever... I've never felt like I had to make that choice. I do feel like there have been times where both of those sides, I had to kind of water down Mm. a little bit or mask, but not Mm. to the point where I made them completely, you know, invisible or non-noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I would kind of agree that I don't think there have been actual situations where I felt like I had to 
more so choose to suppress anything, I would say it's more of kind of like that, especially in queer spaces, if not, you know, with other, like, black people, it tend to probably be more of a code switching scenario than anything with certain mm-hmm. people because like you know we we all we talk a different way than when we're like with all with us than with like other people so but i feel like that just that's kind of like a natural thing that we do <laughs> and, and it's like especially from like working and stuff like um especially professional spaces that's just kind of a thing that you tend to do with people and I would say I probably I don't feel like I'm like completely like different when I'm around like um like you know queer spaces that aren't included including that may not have like black people there because you know sometimes they just don't but I will I'd probably say like I felt like that um the way that I've like interacted with them wouldn't be the same way I would interact with like my core fan group. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. For me, I feel like I have experienced a little bit of both of what you guys were saying. I definitely, growing up, I definitely felt, because I, I identify as trans femme now, and growing up, I always was told, you know, you have to be tougher, you have to be more masculine, people will like you, or you'll get, you'll, I guess, um, you'll be able to relate better to boys or whatever if you butch up. And my, my biggest uh, um, internal issue was I didn't want to relate to the boys. I felt more comfortable with the girls. Um, and then as I got older, and this was this was in predominantly black spaces because growing up I was par- primarily in predominantly black places. I grew up in a predominantly black community. I went to a predominantly black, actually an all black Christian school. There were no white people there, um, and I didn't really experience being around other groups of people, other cultural backgrounds until I was I was probably 10 or 11 and we moved to the to a suburban uh, predominantly white community. And that's when that was like my first introduction to being in those predominantly white spaces. And there I felt like people were trying to figure out what I was because I was definitely more feminine than most of the boys, but they had this idea that I'm black and I was one of the few black people there. So they were like, you're a black boy. You're supposed to be this tough, you know, I guess. I hate Basketball playing. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God, I was so terrible at sports. I was always picked last for teams. And I didn't blame them because I was like, I suck at sports. So I don't blame you for not picking me for your team. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was very tricky. But as I got older and I started talk having conversations and becoming more aware of the political and social issues that black people in this country face, and I've always been very pro-black and into black history and black culture, but when I would have conversations specifically with cis black, cis hetero black males, it was always, well, you're we accept you for being queer or whatever, but you're black first and you have to put that above everything else. And it's like, you're, you're speaking from a place of experiencing only or mostly experiencing racism. You're not experiencing homophobia, transphobia in the same way that I, in in the ways that I am, who's also black experiencing the racism and understanding how white supremacy and is very much attached to the transphobia and the homophobia mm-hmm. as well. Like all of that stuff is 
by design is connected. And having those conversations, I always felt like I had to prioritize being Black when I'm having those conversations with them. And then when I'm having conversations about homophobia, transphobia, and all of the things that the queer community experiences, they're always like, well, racism is, is, is bad too, but we need to focus on this. Like, so, I'm, so in those spaces, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like have to always prioritize, you know, my queer, my queer identity. And it's like, why can't we just understand intersectionality and tackle the root cause of all of these, you know, isms or whatever by focusing on white supremacy and heteronormativity because all of that stuff is deeply, you know, connected. So, yeah, I, I feel like I have had to, in certain spaces, choose. And I'm at a point now where I really don't feel like I need, I should have to do that anymore. It should, we should be able to understand who the boogeyman is and tackle that head on <laughs> to make progress. And can I add something to that when you say white supremacy? Because that is the root of all evil, if you ask me and a bunch of other people. Um, I've had the pleasure of talking to people mm-hmm. about the whole, like, do you show up as black first or queer? Um, and many of black people feel as though being queer is a shield, like almost like a privilege. Oh. And it's like, that's messaging, right? So when we would see queerness, it was usually white. Mm-hmm. So people, it's like, okay, queerness is white. So if you're black and queer, like you're protected some some way because you have the queer part. Failing to realize, one, um, the most racist people I've encountered have been white queer men. Yes. And really? two, I, I don't want to say I kind of get, I get what they're trying to say, right? So prime example there are people, and I, I, I really hate to say this, <laughs> there are people that you may look at and be like, oh, that nigga gay. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that you may have to like squint your eyes with a little bit. But if I'm getting pulled over by the police, I mean, they go see a nigga and be like, right. I may want to kill a nigga. Yeah. I don't know if they would say, oh, but he gay. So do I really want to kill him? You know, so I, I get the whole like, I can understand the reason why people say that we show up black first, mm-hmm. but again, intersectionality is an actual thing. Cause you don't have to put something ahead of something. You can be everything everywhere all at once. Right. Exactly. It's everything is interconnected in some way or another. And it's, I, I love how you use that example of the police you know, pulling you over because I've been in that position. And again, I'm, I feel like I'm always a mind fuck to people because they're like, what the fuck are you? He looked at my driver's license and was like, um, I think I made him nervous. Cause he was like, I see that you're black, but are you, are you a man? Are you a woman? Like what, what, what are you? Like he didn't want to be offensive. And I feel like, I don't know if that might be an example of my queerness, maybe protecting me in that particular um interaction because he he paused for a minute before he maybe had a and it was of course it was a white officer had a snap judgment like he was just trying to approach it very carefully and not um offend me or 
not, I guess, do the right thing in that moment. I mean, he still gave me a ticket, but right. <laughs> <laughs> like he was a he was a bit more cautious. Whereas if 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 I had a probably been presenting more masculine, that interaction could have been totally different. Because I've had I've had those interactions where I was presenting more masculine, and police officer white police officers were not as patient or as you know diligent about communicating with me like a human being. So I might there might there might be some truth to that idea that black people have that that queerness can be protected because for so long, especially within the black community, I think queerness has only been associated with white people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I remember growing up, like my parents would say, "Oh, that that queer or gay stuff." They don't they don't like they don't like the term queer. My parents hate the term queer, and I think a lot of people from that generation, whether they're gay, straight, or whatever, don't like to use the word queer because it has such negative connotations to it. But they would always say that that's that white people shit, basically. Uh, and, yeah, and I was like, no, there are some, there are lots of, you know, queer black people too, and queer people from all cultures. You know, it's not, it's not limited to white people, and I've even heard in some. African spaces, like there's this idea that white people and colonialism brought homosexuality to the continent of Africa when uh, there's a robust body of research that shows that queer, you know, being queer or having queer um, behavior has existed in Africa since the beginning of time. So it's not something that was unique to Europeans and colonialism. I but hate that. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, the whole queerness was brought to Africa conversation mm-hmm. is wild because y'all think that queerness, that gay shit, was brought to African people by Europeans, but you can't understand how y'all white Jesus was also brought to Africa and there were spiritualities prior to being colonized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of it is people take things very personally. Yes. So for me to hear like black parents say um, that's a gay shit or say they, they don't like the term queer. I came out when I was 13. I was born and raised with some sissies, some black sissies. Mm-hmm. So it's like y'all know that we we have existed since the beginning of time. But applying that to yourself, to your family, makes it seem too close to home to, uh, for some people. Absolutely. And you know what? That was I'm gonna. That's a perfect segue to my next question that I wanted to ask because you said that you were raised by queer people, or there were queer people in your life growing up. Do you feel that representation, having queer representation is crucial to combating queer phobia in black spaces and racism and white supremacy in predominantly white queer spaces? I'm going to say yes and no. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll say no because I feel like some people are hard headed. Yeah. Like I don't, you can have a million of us marching saying we're here, we're black and queer, get used to it. And there are going to be a subset of people who be like, that, that, that's the devil and that's poison. It, it's not going to... The people that argue with you about that are not people that are willing to listen and change. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I want to see myself 
in everything I do. I want to be able to put my time and money and energy into people that look like me. Because when I think about growing up, again, everything that was queer was out and white. And I think about older generations. And this is just a... This is internal research and what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, Generations prior to me, you would see a lot of interracial coupling. And I feel like that was a lot of, that's what they had access to. That's what a lot of us had access to. We didn't really have access to black queer clubs. And if they were, they were very, very underground. Like Mm -hmm. you weren't just going to, like you had to be invited into those spaces. So... And that plays into how media just thinks anything gay was just white. And that's all we had. Um, So now I like to see black queer people in media, outside, at festivals. Because I don't know who I would have been back then if I would have saw more of us like together and like loving each other. And again, I, all my aunts on my mother's sides are the biggest lesbians in the Western hemisphere. Um, I have a few gay uncles, but they could only grant me access to so much because of my age. Right. Um, so yes, the representation, no to those hard headed people who you're not going to change regardless. Yeah. I think that's, that's very spot on. Uh, there's always going to be people who just don't get it and don't want to get it. So no matter, no amount of representation or education is going to change their opinions about being queer or being black and queer. Period. Well, I do. I do want to hop in because yeah, I picked I picked everyone for this episode because. We're all from different generations. And we're all from different age groups. Way to call and me old. Right. Not... <laughs> I am old. Go ahead. <laughs> Tuan, Tuan is the youngest of, of us that's here. How old are you again, Tuan? I'm 25. Tuan's 25. And he he's heavy in the, the festival scene. So he he's around you know, queer people, black people, so how how is how was that for you, Tuan? Like, are do you see the representation out there that Johnny's talking about? Do you like horror movies, like Halloween and the Blair Witch? Well, if you're like me and you do, you should join me and listen to the Haddonfield Horrors podcast, where they discuss and review horror movies and horror movie franchises. If you're not listening to the Haddonfield Horrors podcast, you're definitely missing out. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like with, like, the festival space, rave scene, whatever people want to call it, it's generally, it's very open. Like, I would say those scenes, like, people, as long as you're, like, are a good person, you're not, like, quote-unquote, like, fucking up the vibe, people really Mm -hmm. don't care, like, who you, who you are, honestly, um, I've been to festivals like um, here in in, in Chicago, um, Vegas, and like other states, and I've never really had like any issues with the type of people that I come across or people like like noticing me. Like I would say, I feel more comfortable 
like presenting queer at those spaces than like just regularly um like anywhere else that I would because like most people aren't really there to like like shun anyone um you see it with the outfits people are wearing and um just everyone is and there for the music for the most part. So if you find like you could just make a friend in the crowd, nobody really cares, like, you know, your background or anything. And you may still have people who are like not a for whatever you might be. But uh but in but in that space and never I've never really caught any situations for me where I've felt like the odd man out. And especially mm-hmm. if someone, I even go to like shows by myself sometime, I might like, I'll just be vibing. And then people just come up to me, oh, like you look like a good time. Like, let's like, you could chill with us, stuff like that. So like, it's, I've always like in that, in those spaces, I've always been like, never really like scary or anything like that. Cause I feel like everyone's kind of there for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And um, in that space, at least we're all like, we're all cool. It's like, a, like homogeneous type of thing. But, you know, maybe outside of that, they probably, somebody probably want to fuck with me outside of that type of situation. than you know, where we are in that space, cause it's just all connected and everyone's there for like that one thing. And that's just, you know, enjoy the music, enjoy the vibe and, you know, dance and all that type of stuff. So maybe outside of it, it might be different, but I feel like in the space itself, um, I've never really, uh, felt any like hesitance or anything but also it's just so generalized like there's so many people from so many different backgrounds that go to these type of things like for the festival i went to this year called edc it's like one of the biggest like edm festivals and people fly in from different countries you have like people all different like sexualities orientations and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. it's just such a like a big diverse group of people that you can't help not running into someone that may not look like you or like share the same like background as you. So it's just so, it's just so open that everyone's kind of just all together at that one time. And you feel like if, if it feels really, it feels really good. Cause like, you know, you still meet people that are like you and then you just have all these other people as well to like fill in. And then you may make new friends, you may not, but it's just kind of one of those things where everyone's there for like, you know, generalized things. So it doesn't hinder, I would say. Well, how do you, did you grow up with, cause you've grown, you grew up in, like the late 2000s, predominantly the 2010s. So did you see that represent- that queer representation, that black queer representation growing up? Because I know for myself, the only like black queer representation that I really saw on screen was Noah's Ark, which mm-hmm. if you listen to this podcast, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Noah's Ark. It was a little bit too dramatic for me, but you know, that's just me. But like... <laughs> There weren't that many black. <laughs> there weren't that many, like, too many black queer representation, like on the big screen, the small screen. We didn't we didn't really know about, huh? It was definitely limited. We only had. It was definitely limited. It was limited. You, you, you might see a, a a black queer character on a predominantly white show, but he's the or black lead. show. That too. Yeah, and they were always one-dimensional. They weren't, you know, complex. They were the hairdresser. They Purpose. were the the gay best friend. They were the butt of the joke. So that, so that that kind of forced me. I was like, well, 
I can't get the black queer representation, so I gotta just get the queer representation and kind of just take that and like morph it into my needs. But I feel like you grew up at a time where there was a lot of queer, like black queer representation. So how was that for you, Twan? You know, I don't really know because you know, yes, I would say yes. I'm a big like um like movie TV like watcher, but. I would say in like a lot of the stuff that I was watching, I wouldn't really say that I got a lot of that. I'd probably say the biggest like you know movie where I got that was Moonlight because <laughs> that was just so that was they were when it came out it was just one it was just so popular the movie itself was really good and um a lot of people were talking about it and when it when it first came out I didn't even know what it was about so I went to go see it and I was like oh. I was like, oh, this is what this is about. And I was, I was very, like, I was, I, it was, like, an emotional movie. I was very happy to, like, see that story. But when I, um, I do remember after watching that, I don't really think I remember many other, like, movies, especially focusing on, like, um, like, black queer men that were, that were like that. Like, and like Mark mentioned, I would probably say I've probably watched other just general queer media then that to kind of get that fixed and just the, then specifically like black queer media i think um before that um movie moonlight there was a show on hbo called looking that i watched oh my god yeah i didn't i didn't like it pissed me off but at the time i was like well you know this works <laughs> you know what like i hated that i liked that that show <laughs> <laughs> but Raul Castillo, he was ooh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Richie, Richie, yes, yeah. he was my favorite on that show. But yeah, yeah, that, just to let you know that Tawana and I, we do love Hispanic men. <laughs> one, one of the things we bonded over. <laughs> Richie could have, Richie could have definitely got it. Like I was watching the show for Richie because fuck the main guy because he was problematic and I was like, yes. I really really want to fight this guy but that's how i felt watching looking i was a fan of queer as folk that was like one of the first like gay things i really saw and i found that show by accident i was slipping through the channel and i landed on that that scene where that when he was giving that giving his classmate a hand job i remember that and scene I got, and i mm. got hooked but i have I, the dvd I, I, I I do too, and I when when the updated version came out, I was like, okay, it's it's updated, it's a more diverse mm-hmm. cast. It wasn't as good, but then I went back to watch the original, and I was like, oh my god, this is so problematic. He's fucking a high schooler. He's fucking a high schooler. This is not okay. But that's all we had back then, right? Like, yes, that's all we had back then. Cause I queer folk. I was on it every Sunday. Oh, okay. it went eight seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's all we had. But I, I feel like the the thing that was problematic about those type of series when you have a core group of friends, everything mm-hmm. followed the Golden Girls. So it was always four. It was always a whore, a big old sissy, uh, uptight one, and like the mother, the glue of the group. Mm-hmm. And queer folk played in the, into that. But I don't remember even background extras. Maybe two black people in Queer as Folk that I've seen uh, in the background. 
But that's all yeah. we, that's literally all that we had. And it's not, fr- it's frustrating because, you know, I was ready to grow up a little bit before all that. Um, <laughs> so it was funny, like, hearing y'all say, like, y'all grew up on Noah's Ark. I was well into college when Noah's Ark came out. But yeah. there are so many black queer movies that were out, like, in the late 80s and 90s that even to this day, it's hard to access. It's almost like they don't even, like, punks. Um, I love punks. Yeah. I do, too. Uh, <laughs> there's a movie, I think it came out in 2004, with Anthony Mackie, called, like, My Brother's Keeper. Oh, I've seen that, yeah. But, again, that plays into... Yeah, he's a black queer man, but he's also in love with this white man who's treating him like trash. But that's what yeah. I was saying with Tawan. Like, like I, like I was saying, like I felt like I had to like just go to the regular queer media to get what I needed. I mean, not because like, like, like yes, I was watching. I watched Noah's Ark. I didn't enjoy it, but I watched it because that's all we had. Had I watched Clover's Folk? Because it was more sexual, and I was like, I definitely need some of that. And then I watched Dawson's Creek, that white ass show, because it had a gay character, and he he was barely fucking gay in the show. But then I was also I was also watching Degrassi because I needed, you know, yeah. my, I was just looking for my gay fix anywhere. So I, any show that had only show I really didn't click with was um, Will and Grace because they oh. were like. They were on the opposite ends of the spectrum to like, like Will was tend to be so like heteronormative passing that if him and Grace would have fucked in an episode, no one would have questioned it. He and was, you know he, what? He was so I, straight presenting. And then you had Jack who was okay. so effeminate and flamboyant. But I'm like, I don't think I'm either one of those. I feel like I'm in the middle. So try to like, you can. It's hard. It was hard to find representation for someone who was just like in the middle of the the queer spectrum, so to speak. It's like, why am I always seeing these two extremes and nothing in the middle? I will say that's a good point, Marcus. I I remember uh, watching Will and Grace, and one of my best friends, um, who at she, she's white, um, and she said that she loved Will and Grace because she always felt like in the end. Will and Grace were going to end up together. It was the way that the show was written. You would think that they were going to re- wake up one day and realize that they were in love with each other. So I think a lot of people, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these shows are written in a way that's to make queer characters just more palatable to straight people. Yep. And that's Grace is a weird thing because I'll admit I, I can recite every Will and Grace episode Grace. Mm-hmm. word for word, but when that came out, I think I was more attracted to it due to the overall relationships that the characters had and not the queerness because I knew off the back that this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I know people who are A-type people like Will. And I know people who wear their feelings on their shoulders like Grace. And I know colorful people, you know, like Jack and alcoholics like, you know, Karen. <laughs> so I was more enthralled by 
the relationships. So Will and Grace never felt like that gay show to me. Right. And, you know, just, you know, piggybacking off some of this and just speaking of, like, media and stuff in general, I feel like I got more of my representation in books when I was younger. Um, I can't, now, I, I really can't recall a lot of the titles just because it's, like, so far out now. But I'll probably say I got, like, more of that stuff reading books than I did, like, watching movies or TV shows, especially when I was looking, like, like, you know, like teen, like teen YA stuff, like young adult novels and all this stuff. I'll probably say I got like more of that out of like reading books than I would say like movies or TV shows. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I was, I, I felt like I, I read way more <laughs> when I was like high school younger. Um, so I would say like I, I went like searching for that type of stuff and I, I probably got a lot of more, like a lot more out of those than I would say like the media that I was watching at the time. And that's that's a good thing because I read a lot of books and I've really been reading a lot of uh, young adult novels because there are a ton where the protagonist is a black queer boy or a black queer person like the taking of Jake Livingston, the cost of knowing uh, they both die at the end. Like, I think now that one I've seen that with talk ladies. It was it was cute. It was cute. Um, so yeah, I think the representation is at an all time high, but then you got book bands. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's this constant battle of representation. And I think that's what's making it hard. And that's what's making it harder for us to be in spaces where we feel like we have to choose one or the other. Um, because now I feel like there are some places I go in where people know my identities and they are overly nice to me because they know I sit at those intersections. Mm-hmm. And part of me is like, yeah, treat me like a king. Yeah, feel guilty. Then part of me is like, or y'all just let me be who I am. And if y'all try me, I'll check y'all. And there's times where I'm in spaces where I go in there and it's automatic, like, combativeness. But I think going back to earlier, the whole, uh, with the police officer analogy, mm-hmm. where they just going to see black. Um, when you walk into these spaces, and me, I'm 6'4", a whole bunch of pounds, and regardless if I have on a wig, <laughs> some uh, neon pink, a skirt, or some Tim's, I'm already seen as the threat. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a quick story, a few months ago, so I'm on this culture crew, and my main reason for being on this culture crew at work is I'm trying to get the niggas in the culture crew. Like, the culture crew should have a representative of every intersection at your company. But it was literally just, it was me, my black gay ass, and like 12 white girls under 27. And they would do a happy hour at this bar at the end of each quarter. It's like a little team thing. And I would never go. And I had to explain to them a few months ago why I never went. I say, I'm a big black ass man walking to a predominantly white bar with 12 white girls. The first time I went with them, 
uh, a few years ago, right before the pandemic, I'm like, okay, I'm coming in one drink and that's what I'm leaving. I go get my drink at the bar and come back to the table and security came and asked him, like, are you okay? Is he bothering you? Mm. And the thing about it is they don't think that shit like that happens on the regular. So it's just even the, the space sometimes dictate who you need to be and how you need to be before you even get a chance to um, assess the whole situation. And when you, Taiwan, when you said that you go to a lot of festivals and this is just the old bitter queen in me, I like that you feel that open and comfortable. But for me, one thing I do know is where there's white people, there's racism. And I don't care how liberal or open the space is. So I go to Afropunk a lot. And now we deal with white people feeling like they have access to everything. So I'm going to be my black queer self at Afropunk. But I always, my head's on the swivel because there's white people there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next, but, but going back to the question that Nick asked you to earlier about do you feel like you have to put one identity forward depending on where you are? And I feel like with me, definitely around family, I have to lessen the the queerness, like how I talk, the words I use. Like my my family gets mad if I'm if I'm speaking too proper or if I'm using, if I'm saying the words a different way, because I just by default, I say caramel and that makes them mad. We're black. We don't, we don't say it that way. I'm like, but that's how you say it. I'm just saying the word, how it should be said. Mm. So I, so I have to like chat. I'm like, so when when I'm walking to like a family thing, I know, okay, I had to calm the gay. The gay has to go. They know you're gay. They just can't see you being gay. Is, is what I tell myself, and I have to, I have to bring out, bring back the ebonics because I can't, I can't talk a certain way, I can't use certain words. I'm just, I, I have to always put my black self forward when I'm around my family because that's what they expect, and that's pretty much the only thing they're going to accept. They don't want me to be too gay. They don't want me to be too proper or AKA white. So I have to put. Had to put my black foot forward at all times, my and like sometimes foot. you know when, if I'm not thinking just by default, I'll start talking a certain way. I'm, I never talk exactly like like Tawan said. Like <clears throat> we, we're used to code switching. When I'm talking to certain people, I talk differently. Like I I don't normally talk effeminate or anything like that. But if I'm around a group of girls and we're having a good time. You know, my voice might get a little high pitched, it might get a little saucy, you know, it happens. Yeah, Tawan hears it sometimes, you know, because it just it depends on who I'm talking to and the space that I'm in is I code switch my whole my, everything, my, my my posture, the way I move my hands, the, the my verbiage, my, the sound of my voice, the personality. It all switches based off the space I'm in. I'm not being fake, I'm just adapting to who the fuck I'm around. It's and safety. Then, yeah, and, and then with, with, the thing, with my like, family, yeah, and with my family, I have to be Black Marcus, who was born on the porch on Fifty Fifth on the South Side. That's all I gotta be. I can't be nobody else. And that kind of like, kind of like, I don't know. It like my family's accepting, but knowing that I have to hide the queerness to it to an extent, mm-hmm. kind of makes me 
hold back from them because it's just like if I can't truly be myself around you, I have to. I there's a barrier there. Yeah, trust and vulnerability are so important to any relationship, and if you can't show up as your true, authentic self, I don't feel the. I don't feel like those relationships are truly um, healthy or authentic. And it kind of segues, this kind of segues into my next question that I wanted to ask. And I feel like we kind of touched on it a little bit, but how has being Black and queer influenced big decisions in your life, such as where you live, where you work, like, or even where you went to college, for example, or has it, has that um, influenced Um, those decisions? For me, it definitely influenced where I went to college. Well, it was like two, two things that influenced where I went to college. I definitely originally planned to go to college in Texas. I wanted to go to, uh, to Austin, but I was like, okay, I know Austin tends to be liberal, but it's still Texas and I'm still black and I'm still gay. Mm-hmm. But I was also dating somebody who told me if I left, they, we weren't gonna be together anymore. So I was like, okay, I'm staying in Chicago, but where am I gonna go to Chicago? And then Roosevelt had a reputation of being very liberal so I was like, well, I'll I'll go there. They're they're liberal. They always talk about diversity, diversity, and they're queer and and minority friendly. So I was like, why not? I was like, I feel like I could be safe there. I feel like I could feel safe there. And at work, I tend to when I first enter a job, it's it's very the way I dress, the way I present myself. You would not know I'm gay takes me, I have to get comfortable before I'm just like, okay, now I can just like, the real me can come out a little bit. Now I'm comfortable now. I know these people, I spent like a month and a half watching and observing everybody. I know I can be safe and be as gay as I want because that's that's how I am. <laughs> I might be a little problematic at first because I'm, I'm yeah. testing the water. <laughs> I'm testing the water. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, 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 Nick know how, knows mm-hmm. how I am like, because we, we work together Like I, I come in very quiet and observe and I look like I'm judging folks because I am yeah, judging but... I'm trying to I'm, I'm judging y'all I'm trying to figure y'all the fuck out before I introduce y'all to who I really am and then I slowly I might make a problematic comment here and there so I can see where everybody's you know level at sometimes <laughs> it almost gets me beat up you know, it always works out in the end because yeah, Nick, we were definitely going to jump you. <laughs> Nick and and our friend Jasmine, they definitely wanted to whoop my ass when oh, we were first. Okay. And now, flash forward five years later, me and Jasmine going trips, all types of shit together. Mm-hmm. Me and Nick on a podcast, you know, because when when I really let you know me, you love me. And I but didn't I gotta, find out about y'all until it was too late. <laughs> like I had been there for years, and I was like, y'all. We work at the same place? Yes. (laughs) If you like what you hear, don't forget to leave us a review and a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on Twitter at Letters2Media and on Instagram at Letters underscore podcast. And at that point, Nick was gone and we was was in shutdown. And, and and that's another thing like the company because to what I mentioned in professional settings mm-hmm. the place you work in you can see how you you have to you have to put on a professional show because you can't be a certain way 
Mm-hmm. And I know with, with the company that the three of us worked in together, like it all felt segregated anyway. Like every, it's still department, a like every department felt separate from the other. There was barely any intercommunication with departments. And when you would walk around, you would see you would see the difference. You were like, oh, so they have all the gay people. Majority of the gay people, majority of black people are on two doing a customer service shit, getting treated like mm-hmm. slaves. Mm-hmm. Like, so we like, can talk, child. It's worse now. We can talk about it later. <laughs> I'm like, and, and I should feel lucky that I'm in the position that I am, but I, and I was like, well, I'm lucky that I have a queer, a queer leader, queer in leadership, more than one, but you know, they ain't none of my business because I'm pretty sure, you know, no, I ain't gonna go there. I ain't gonna go there. Yeah, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> we're not gonna do that. But you know, it, I was okay. I'm, I'm seeing queer people in leadership. I see a black queer person in leadership because I'm not gonna lie, Nick. When I saw you, I clocked you right away. I was like, oh, everyone I, does. Everyone I, does. I'm like, Nick wanted a gross. Yep. And I, <laughs> Literally. You know what? I hated not to cut you off. So <laughs> I didn't know about y'all until they had uh, summoned me from two. To work on a project on 20. Yeah. And when I went up there, and I'm like, first off, I'm thinking all the, the colored folks was on too. So to come up there, I'm like, this is a lot of black people. I'm like this. But there was a lot of a lot of y'all niggas was gay. I said, okay. Yes. <laughs> I like this. Yes. Actually. Where y'all come from? <laughs> but again, that's just that whole segregation. That that particular company hasn't gotten a grip on as of yet. And for 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 the company to have been started by someone who was so liberal, he but was they so white. Liberal, he was so liberal to a point where he sent an email saying, "I don't fuck with Donald Trump. If you do, you can quit." Don't 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 bring it up because I was working the social media when that letter was leaked on Reddit. And it was a pain for literally a year. We still every now and then get calls about that. And that was in 2016. Wait, what was the letter, if you might be asking? So what happened was... You can find it online still, Tuan, if you Google. So so what happened was, really quick, um, after Orange Man was elected, our CEO sent an internal email saying that everything he stands for Everything Trump stands for, we don't stand for. We stand for people, yada, yada, yada. It was a nice, encouraging email. Somebody, probably some white liberal, felt it was necessary to screenshot it and of all places, post it in an anti-Trump Reddit uh, space. And it leaked. And then, lo and behold, I'm working the company's social media and I have four notifications 200 notifications, 500 notifications, 10,000 within five minutes. And 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 we didn't know what happened. Mm. So, yeah. that's Yeah, liberal, but if they white, you got to side on them sometime. That, and that's the thing. Because I want to talk about us being black in queer spaces. Because I feel like because me and Tawana have talked about this before. Because we, we, we were doing a podcast on Get Out. We were reviewing that movie. And we did a, we were talking about this scene where 
the white lady just walks up and she's like, "Will, is it true about them? You no, know, is it is it better? Is it bigger? Like, bitch, you don't even you don't even know my name. You just saw a black guy and you thought he must be slanging. Like, ex- hello, my this is my this is my name. I'm I, I do this for a living, and I feel like that white supremacy. I feel like that happens a lot because now. Cause like I, I've been single for, I was single for a bit, and I was meeting all these different guys. And, you know, even the his, the Hispanic guys, they'd be like, "Oh, let me see that BBC." Mm-hmm. Like, Excuse me. First of all, my screen name says, "Bussy." F M. I'm I'm here to get pole, not to show pole. So, Thank you. Like, so. The fact that you saw my name and you knew what it meant and you still tell me, oh, I want to see that BBC. Excuse me? You didn't even ask me what the fuck my real name was first. Like You act like Bottoms don't like to get their meat played with. Stop it, okay? You just want to see what's up. I'm a, verse bottom. Up. I'm a verse bottom and I, I try. I try. I'm like, I ain't got like, I can show you if you want, but don't just be like, oh, let me see the BBC. Sir, don't leave with that. Don't like, leave with the BBC. I, I know what we're here for, but like, whatever. Oh, I, I just know you got a big black dick. Like, excuse me. And someone said it to me in person once. Like, I've only had those interactions for the most part online. But in, I was at a at a bar once, and this guy bought me a drink. And like, the first thing he said, he was like, "I know that dick big." You know, all, all black boys got big dicks. I want to see yours. I was like, excuse me? You can take this drink and take that weird-ass line and get the fuck out of my face. Like, why Why was that the first thing you thought to say when you saw me? Because they saw black and they thought of black cock and not a, a person behind it. I literally, I have in my fucking, my Tinder bio, it literally says, like, no, I don't have a BBC. Leave me alone. <laughs> The fact that like, still happens is weird because I haven't been on the apps probably in Jesus Christ seven years or so, and the fact that that's still a thing is is wild to me. I mean, I get it because again, whether it's white folks and white passing folks, there's going to be microaggressions, right? But um, in my in my day, um, they used to just walk up and like put their damn hands down my pants. Oh, and my whole thing is, you only did that because I was black. Like that's it. Won't even look at my face, and I it used to be bad. Um, <laughs> so I went to school in uh, between two thousand two two thousand seven in Miami, and there was this place called Twist. And they had like these different rooms and there was like this dark rave room with random flashes of red light. So you can see people's outline, but you know, you go in their room for cocaine and white men and to get to the, uh, like the hip hop area, you had to walk through that. I've had so many men when they, so when you come in, it's not a door. So you can see like the regular light. Like they'll look outside and see people's faces. Child, they see a nigga. And then white man's ugh, 
It was so... When I think about it now, it makes me uncomfortable. But back then, when I was 18, 19, 20, I was getting my life. But now, the fact that... And when you say, like, being black in queer spaces, it's always been an issue because now there are black queer spaces, right? There's black nights. There are black bars, you know, black queer events, black pride. Um, I've never truly felt comfortable in fully queer spaces that weren't, like, black queer spaces. And even then, there are other, like, hierarchies in those black queer spaces. But I don't, I don't believe any of these gay bars that open up, that are owned by white people, mm-hmm. really opening up for a, a diverse crowd at all. And it shows. And that's why I don't, I haven't been to any bar or club or anything in Boys Town in 10 years. Because they never wanted us there. I only go there now for the sushi place because it's my favorite. I generally don't go over there either, personally. Because, well, for me, if someone wants to, like, go out, the the music is the first thing for me. So, And I know I'm not going to hear what I want to hear over there. So, like, for me, I'm like, yeah, it's not really, it's not really like, the vibe that I want to go for. So I generally don't yeah. tend to go there. And plus, just in general, like, um, you know, this is like a queer space. You would, you know, you think you probably would get like certain approaches a bit more. And I feel like I, I felt, I felt better with where I was at, like, I guess like a straight club or whatever, just cause I like the vibe there a little bit more than I do. And, um, like voice town and stuff, it, like it feels, it feels even a bit more segregated. And especially, yeah. I, I don't know if like, Y'all remember, like, it was, like, a couple years ago, I think it was before COVID, where, like, they, clubs in um, Boys Town, they were, they had, like, this letter go out from yeah our owners, where they were saying they weren't, they, they were gonna, they didn't want to, like, play, like, basically, like, black music. Nicki like, Minaj. Rap. Yeah, they were like, we don't want to play, like, Nicki, like, rap and all that stuff over there. Yeah. And it was, like, a, it was, like, a whole, like, thing uh, when that happened. And But I that's never, like, that's always been the case. Yeah, and and even but even in like even before then, I I think when I when I came out, I was I couldn't even go to the club yet. But even before then, I was like, yeah, I don't think that that's gonna be where I'm gonna be at when I start going out. And it really hasn't been. Like, I've been to a couple spots over there, depending on people who I was with, or like we went somewhere else, and then the party ended up going that way. And I was just with people already, but like I wouldn't. Mm. I would if I, if I was making a plans for tonight, it wouldn't be let's go to like let's go to town Town tonight so it's it generally isn't um what i'm usually going for if i'm going out that was a cleansing if y'all don't know so that that dj that did that 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 owner um i don't know what the name is now because it's on the corner of roscoe and halstead across from like um you know roscoe's and uh i think that's hydrate it no, is. no, Hydra is, is further down. Um, but whatever it was, whatever the name was uh, back then, so there was a black night there that used to be on Sundays and sometimes Saturdays. And it got really, really popular. Some of the black marketing groups um, had parties there, cheap drinks, 
everybody used to go there. That owner noticed that it was getting a little bit too black up in there. Do I think that that leaked mistakenly? No. I think if that owner had the balls, he probably would have made a public post about it. But nobody was going there but black people. And then all of a sudden, this letter leaked talking about don't play no, no nigga music. And he really didn't get no repercussions for that. And then come to find out a bunch of spots in Boys Town had that same feeling. And that's why you very rarely see black people up there. Now, I will say, Scarlet, them DJs on Scarlet do be, they be DJing when they had a black music. Okay, my friend was just telling me about Scarlet. <laughs> he said that I might like it there. Yeah, like, but other than that, fuck Boys Town. Yeah, yeah. I used to. I lived in Boys Town for a year, and I hated every moment of it. And I was engaged to somebody who wanted to go out and enjoy nightlife, and I was just like, "I, you have fun. I'm, I'm not gonna do that. It wasn't for me." And it, you started to see where those like stereotypes and assumptions straight people have about gay people come from when you're solely surrounded by other queer people because but things I would just see on like a random like because I used to work at a movie theater I was a manager so I got off work pretty late and I like to walk home I lived on Broadview Broadview and Sheridan Broadway whatever the fuck but sometimes I would get off at Belmont and like I would walk the mm-hmm. like half a mile because I like to walk sometimes it's a good night also, I have bad anxiety on trains. So I, I, I like to walk half the way. So, Fair. But just, it's like 3 a.m. And I, I shouldn't be seeing gay people, like, in the middle of the street drunk fighting. Or you walk down a little bit further and you see a whole, like, gay couple having sex just outside at the fucking bus stop. Just, like, giving each other oral sex or, or doing anal. I'm just like, what... I will challenge that though because if you go a few blocks what west you in Wrigleyville Wrigley. and depending on the season them yeah. straight white folks act a damn fool a damn fool you should definitely underline but these are the people I was walking past were white queer people of course <laughs> <laughs> But you know, like I am on the fence with that because I've also I've gone to Folsom in San Francisco mm. and I've um partaken in Dory Alley. So you know <laughs> back in my, my youth. So I get it. Um but my issue with boy sound, especially with the advent of drag race. It was just a bunch of white gays trying to be big black women. And that's what was irritating me. I hate that. (laughs) Tawan, you got anything you want to introduce, you want to bring up, you want to talk about? Uh... Mm. Trying to think, I would. So I would say, in in general, like for me, with 
particularly queer spaces. I would say, I would probably say I'm not in many, like, I guess, public, like, queer spaces like that. Like, generally, like, you know, like, Boys Town and stuff like that. I would say I, I mostly hang with a particular group of people who, like, who are queer. And then we do our own type, we do, like, our own type of thing. And instead of, you know, just going to, like, those specific, like, events, like, you know, sure, like, I'll pop out to, like, um, like, Market Days or something, or Pride, like, just to, you know, see what's going on there, but in regards to, I would say, I, I would say, I probably made my own space with certain people, instead of going to just a generalized hey, this is, like, a gay bar or whatever like that. And I feel like that kind of, that works for me more than anything because, you know, usually with, with the group that I'm with, like, we generally, you know, have a lot of things in common and all that type of stuff. And I feel like a lot of people could just say that about their friend groups. But, um, like, I feel like probably other people could just go out to you know, Boys Town, whatever, have, like, time of their life, and then they'd be good, but for me, like, that wouldn't really be the case if I was really going out there, um, like, me and my friends would probably do something ourselves, or, um, set up a time to, like, go to, like, a specific, like, event or something, if it's all of us, because that way, you know, we'll, know, we'll all be together, and then we'll be, like, good to go, like, going out, and which is, which is funny, because I, like, you would think, like, being like a like core person that it would be simpler like it could be easy to just like go out by yourself i know not everybody like is keen on going places by themselves i'm generally like that though i don't mind like going places by myself like i mentioned i go to concerts by myself all the time and like i said like i feel like i've had those experiences where even if i am out by myself like people might see me like you know like having a good time and they'll like they'll they'll come up to me and be like hey you should like chill with us like you seem cool or whatever i feel like i've never gotten that going to like any like queer spaces i would say i don't think i've gotten that type of same type of vibe as if i was just at like um a, a show for like a dj that i like and it's interesting. I've never really, like, put much thought into it, though. But, you know, since we're, like, thinking about it here, um, it's definitely something I've thought about now. And it's like, hmm, why don't, you know, you get approached, like, in that type of way? And, yes, I, I mean, like, most time when people are going to the club, you know, some are there to just catch, dance, catch the vibe. A lot of people are there to, like, hook up, whatever. I may not be somebody's cup of tea, which is fine. I'm not always, like, in that vibe if I'm going out. But, um it is like weird to think about that, you know, even just on like a friendly level, I don't think I've gotten those type of approaches in those spaces, but on those spaces outside of that, where, you know, it's just like a general group of people. I feel like I've gotten more of that camaraderie, I guess you could say. And that's generally, that could be from any, like anybody from any type of background. Um, Yes, as uh, Johnny mentioned, head is always on a swivel regardless where I'm at, but I probably, I would say, like, I've gotten um, more of that um, general camaraderie vibe at, like, those, like, festival, concert type of type of places, just because I feel like we're all there for, like, that one thing in particular, and, you know, that's catching the vibe of the music, having a good time. Um, whatever that might be, and outside of that, <clears throat> if it's not in those situations, I'm hanging with, like, a group of people who, um, 
you know, we're all friends and they may bring like other people in. So like I'm up. So usually from there, it'll like break off to uh, my hangout with this one person from the group who I never hung out with. We might go do a thing one night and then, um, you know, bring it back together to the full group and it, you know, breaks off from there. So I would say <clears throat> in general, I probably, I, I don't know if I could say I hang out in in a, a more generalized like black or queer spaces. I would say it's kind of a mix because because like I would say the friend groups I have are fairly diverse for the most part as well. So I feel like it's just kind of a mix of everything, and I don't think there's more one of the other um, at this point in time. And I I feel like that's just kind of a I guess, like, a Gen Z, like, type of thing where, like, everybody feels more, like, mixed in the type of people that they hang out with for, like, for the most part. Um, Like, I feel like with school and stuff, you know, generally it was just mostly, like, black people I'll probably hang out with or, or like, high school. Like, we were in, like, a Hispanic... Our high school was, like, in a, like, Hispanic community, but it was mostly just Hispanic or black kids. So, for the most part, that was generally who I would hang out with, but I would say, like, now it's just a um, mix of, like, whoever I feel is, you know... It's whoever the vibe. I feel, yeah, whoever I feel is good enough, like for me, and like who I want to like hang around with, because I don't really have like any, um, any like qualms of like hanging out with a particular set of people, and mm-hmm. I feel like I uh, get that a lot. Like it, it is, and I, and I don't want to like brag about it, but like whenever I'm like hanging with new people, uh, like say my friends introducing me to someone, they'll like come up afterwards and be like, oh, they thought like you, they thought like you were so cool, so nice and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, I was just being me. Like it was just, it wasn't nothing major. Like, you know, I just, you know, treat everybody with like, with a certain set of certain amount of kindness. Like it doesn't need to be much more outside of that. I feel. Yeah, and I, Can I, I say something think... real quick? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, so, as the elder in the group, <laughs> um, what I will say is one thing that I miss as I get older is community. I have a core group of friends, but again, we're old. Some people married, having kids. I don't know why they do that. And, you know, it's hard to get everybody uh, together. So, I miss community. What I will say is, like, you're black and queer. Wherever you go, it's going to be black and queer. Whether it's a black and queer space specifically, or if it's a predominantly white space and you there with your black queer uh, friends. Um, I would also say community is very important, especially in these times. because You have to be able to feel like you're protected when you walk out the house or wherever you are. Right, you know, it's that whole like that nigga look when you from across the room to a stranger when some white people do some weird shit. You know, <laughs> um, I think what's helped me in finding community is trying to find black queer people outside of a bar or a club. So I'm a big black ass nerd. So it's a bunch of our black queer asses. We go to conventions around the country with each mm-hmm. other. Um, I'm also a bowler, so I found a group of black queer bowlers. So I think, I think community is very important because that's how we heal as a community. That's how we 
forth more representation. That's how we get more opportunities. And that's how we have an opportunity to be out, be seen, take up space, and just relax a little bit. I will say um, one space that I adore is Nobody's Darling. It's like a little bar in Ravenswood owned by two black queer women. I love that place. I I love that place. And we go there because they used to have the Soul Night, which was once a month, the first Saturday of the month. But now it's, I want to say it's two or three times a month and they've expanded. But every time I've gone there with my people, we've met new people, black queer people. And it's a, it's such a fucking good time. It's not pretentious. The white people know the same place. And it's just, it's a good time. So look into that. Whenever y'all want to go, we be going a lot. And it's just a good drunk ass time. But I will say black women love black women. Same. It's the space that they created, and they create a lot of amazing black queer spaces in Chicago. I'm just cognizant of knowing that that space, if I do decide to go, that is not about me. It's about those black queer women in films. Like, uh, is it Small Collective? They do a lot at the Promontory. They do a lot of, like, black queer women film-led events. So I think it's just digging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Getting a little bit uncomfortable and just being around your people. Yeah. And I feel also just, I just feel like some people need to be a little bit comfortable with possibly doing things by themselves first. I feel exactly. Like that, that's, a, that's a big thing. Um, I feel like I have like even friends like now who like they feel awkward going like, to the movies by themselves and i feel like for me that's like a that's like a therapeutic type of thing for me i love going to movies with myself and i and uh and it wasn't like a oh i didn't have like people to go with it was more like i want to go do this thing so i'm gonna go do it and like more like if i tell like certain people like i went to a concert by myself like, oh, you went by yourself i'm like yeah i wanted to see that dj or that artist like mm-hmm. nobody else wanted to go so like i'm not gonna just like stay at home because i i didn't have anyone to go with and i feel like some people aren't really comfortable with exploring spaces by themselves and i feel like some people need to be able to do that so that they can find their community as you mentioned i learned the hard way myself there are places and events i wanted to go to but i felt as though people had to go with me and what i learned was i wasn't going to those events because people couldn't they couldn't go they didn't want to go so absolutely like do all the shit you do in community Healing, eating, reading, entertainment. Do by be comfortable doing it by your damn self. Because the 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 thing is, people are going to be attracted to you by the way that they see that you treat yourself. So if I see this person take care of themselves, loving themselves, I'm like, okay, this is the type of person I know I can be around. But yes, I do think community is very important. And like Tawan said, we went to a school that was pretty much like half and half. It was like majority it was like a majority of the school population was black, then the second biggest population was Hispanic, and there were like some Asian and white people sprinkled in here and there. But so like most of my friends are either, were either Hispanic or black. And that was just mostly because 
I am very shy. I tend to be very shy and timid when I'm first in a new space. And the friends I have, even to this day, are the friends I have because they approached me first. I never make the first move, but I can definitely lock in the friendship if you approach me first. Always. Every time. And Johnny talking about community, I learned right away that sometimes when you're in a black queer space, like, I always go into a warning, I want more black queer friends. I don't have that many. And usually I go into these spaces and it becomes like competitive. And like, like a competition. And I'm like, whoa, I just want to be friends. I'm not here to, to compete with you, with the other dick sets in the room. I'm not trying to fuck. I just want to be friends. Like, why why is it beef? Why is it a competition? Like, why we can't just be cool? And so I learned right away, like, oh, I got to make my own community with people who actually I can vibe with. Like, I, I can't be solely focused on I need to have, I got to force these relationships with black queer people. If it's not happening, if I'm giving them the wrong vibe, I gotta let that go. And then since doing that, and I have a lot of straight friends, black friends, Hispanic friends, mostly black and Hispanic friends, a couple white people sprinkled in there too. But majority of my friends are straight or they queer, they just ain't really said nothing, but you know, I always know. I always know. <laughs> and I realized, okay, when I went and made my own community and it's just, and when I'm with those people and I'm just relaxed and having a good time, then I noticed that other people, black queer people were like trickling in. I'm like, oh, so it took y'all to see me actually having fun letting my hair down with other people before you gave me a chance to get to know me. And it's like, why, why, why we just couldn't start there, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anything else anyone got anything I think I'm good uh, again I enjoyed this conversation it's always a pleasure talking to y'all yes, and you definitely got to meet up and go to nobody's darling first round on me and by round I mean the first uh, glass of water <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I I did this this way because I wanted to, yeah. Because like I said, we're all different ages. We all have different experiences. We all, everything is different. Like growing up in the 2000s versus growing up in the 2010s versus growing up in the 80s and 90s. Like the spaces that were there for us were different. Mm -hmm. We all had different spaces. We all had different experiences based off the time and the place where we were growing and exploring. So I wanted us to come together and have this conversation to talk about what it's like being black in queer space. What it's like to be Not queer. growing up in the 80s and 90s. I wonder who you was talking about. Okay, because... <laughs> I, I was just being... I was just throwing out the, the last, like, four decades. I wasn't being... I mean, listen, <laughs> I am embracing 40 next year, so bring it on. I was just throwing up the last four decades. <laughs> mm. Everybody was fucking in the seventies, so they don't count. So I couldn't bring them up. So, but 
Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. It was a pleasure to have our two guest co-hosts on with us. Nick and I enjoyed this. Um, Nick is going to be planning our next episode, and I'm so excited to, to know what that is and to share that with you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. Peace out. Should we do an intro?